This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem. Kevin Wade is on with me this week as well, talking Oregon football. Kevin, we've got... Bowl announcements, we've got bowl destinations, and we know now the opponent for the Oregon Ducks. It's going to be the number ranked, number eight ranked Wisconsin Badgers who are representing the Big 12, the Big 10, excuse me. Uh, they lost in the Big 10 championship game to Ohio State, which vaulted the Buckeyes into the college football playoff, and the Badgers swoop in in their place to represent the Big 10. So, a lot of familiarity with this matchup. Uh, these two teams played as recently as 2012 in the Rose Bowl. So uh, I, I think Oregon's fan base, a little rivalry maybe is starting because of football being played in the Rose Bowl in 2012. Basketball has certainly played each other three times uh, in the last five or six years. Uh, and quite honestly, I, I, Kevin, my, my first reaction for, for this matchup was outside of the playoffs, this might be the best matchup in all of all of the bowl games outside of the playoffs. Yeah, it definitely has a lot of the the name brand value with two very strong programs over the past decade in as you mentioned in both football and basketball, two fan bases that um very passionate. I think both have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, both have that little bit of we're overlooked, we're whereas Wisconsin's over like got Michigan, Penn State, Ohio right. State in their conference and Oregon is always going to be feeling down to USC a little bit. So it's kind of the, hey, we're here and we're ready to prove something. And I think that's what both teams did in uh, in their conference championship game. Obviously, Wisconsin didn't hold on for the win, but at at the first half, it looked like everyone's like, what is going on with Ohio State? Yes, they turned it on, and it's exactly what happened in the regular season matchup. But very physical team, both sides of the ball, uh, very disruptive on defense. I think when Oregon, uh, you know, a number of the statistical computer models early in the season was ranked as the number one or number two defense. It was one, two Wisconsin yeah. and Oregon right there. So it's going to be two very good defenses, um, two teams that have run the ball really well against teams that have good defenses. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a 6,000 yard running back as a junior, and he's already saying he doesn't care what bowl game it is. He's playing, which I mean, that just adds I mean, especially since the Rose Bowl, it adds a ton to this matchup. Yeah, this is a game I think that Oregon's going to be facing off against the the best rushing attack they've faced in a couple years. Because you mentioned it, Jonathan Taylor is, if not the best, one of the best running backs in the country. I mean, talk about a a career. In three years, his lowest rushing total is this season, uh, 1,909 yards. And, and, he, I mean, no, he scraped. He scraped. That's that, that's in the regular season. He scraped by that last night, 148 yards on Ohio State. It's insane. Yeah, he he's got he he has a chance. I mean, I, I I would be shocked if Oregon gives up 200 yards to him or almost 300 yards. But yeah, he's got a chance to, to eclipse his 2018 rushing total of 2,194 yards, 16 touchdowns as a freshman. 
He ran for 1,977 yards. Uh, this is a guy that, that is the best running back, I think, in the country. Uh, maybe the Ohio State running back is better than he is, but Taylor does, does it all. He's the offense for this Wisconsin team in which, look, th- their style of play, Oregon is going to be very familiar with this because it's very similar to Utah. It's very similar to a Stanford. Uh, it's a very similar, Style to what wash, uh, excuse me, to what California does at times, you know, ball control. Arizona State did this against Oregon earlier in the, in the year. Um, ball control, milk the clock, uh, shrink the game and run the football and run the football well. They lead the country in time of possession, uh, 35 minutes, 26 seconds, uh, per game. And, and you look at Utah that they're number two right in the country. 34, 34 minutes, 33 seconds per game. You know, th- this is not a quick strike offense. This is one in which they want to put together some 15, 14, 16 play drives that go 85 yards, 80, 70, 75 yards and really just wear you down in the second half to pull away. Yeah. This feels a lot like a Stanford team. Yes. Um, in, in ways where it's, you know what? We're not going to throw those home run 30 yard passes. A lot. It's going to be a lot of seven yard to the big receiver, and just keep grinding down the field, eating clock. I mean, last night um, it was a perfect example of what I think they'll end up trying to do against Oregon. Is just three step routes. As soon as the receiver is released from the the defensive back or the linebacker, ball is out on the way to them, and it's just going to be consistently moving the ball for trying to get a first down on every play and then occasionally rushing it. And so it will be interesting to see if that is exactly their strategy, but that's just how they've played all season. And it it feels a lot like Utah. Yeah. I mean, Utah has Zach Moss, which was one of the best running backs in the country. Um, Utah, Tyler Huntley, while statistically put up some really impressive numbers, I don't think he was a guy though that, you know, really was, you know, he he was not a guy that I, I think when you play elite teams, you could say, hey, you're going to have to throw us to, to victory. That's just not in his style of play. And and Jack Cohen, uh, that's the quarterback for the Badgers. Very similar. You know, 2,500 yards passing, 70% completion percentage, 17 touchdowns, just four interceptions. You know, he's a guy that's not going to make uh, a lot of mistakes. He's not going to turn the football over. Uh, the receiving core is, is decent. Quidez, Cephas, uh, 52 receptions for 842 yards and, and six touchdowns, but – you know, no one else goes over 363 yards. Uh, they've only got, and, and that's their tight end, Jake Ferguson. And everyone else is, is under 200, is under 300 yards. And, you know, they've got a lot of guys that have, you know, 20 to, to 29 receptions, but, uh, none of those guys are, 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 are players who have, you know, huge averages per reception. Um, you know, Cephas is the only one at 16.2, which is good, but he's their primary receiver. It's, they've got one, they've got one go-to guy at receiver and then a bunch of possession players, uh, in the, in the passing game because they rely so much on, on the run game and Jonathan Taylor and, and he's a guy that, that literally does all the work. I mean, you look at Oregon's running backs and, and their season statistics, uh, on the season and, and you'll see that CJ Verdell is the team's primary ball carrier and, you know, he, Verdell has 180 carries, but then you've got Travis Dye who has 105, Cyrus Avila Kio has 85. For, for Wisconsin, it's different. 
Jonathan Taylor has 299 carries on the season. And then the next closest guy is Watson at running back with 74, third highest uh, as another running back with 40. It's it's Jonathan Taylor, and that's as simple as it is. It it seems like Gordon could maybe just say, hey, game plan for Utah is the same game plan that we're going to use for for the Wisconsin Badgers. It will be interesting to see how uh, the one difference I I feel – evident between the differences between the two teams is Utah and um, Wisconsin's offensive lines. I think Wisconsin has the edge there. So how disruptive Oregon was able to be in the front um, front lines, I think that's going to be making this matchup tougher for the Ducks than it was against Utah. We'll, we'll be interesting to see kind of as we can get deeper into the two teams where they stand, but it's going to be a grinder. <laughs> Yeah. Good old smash mouth football. I, I don't think maybe it, maybe it's me, but I, I think you would agree with this. I would be pretty shocked if the total of this game is over, is over 58 points. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it's not the, it's not a replay where you have a Chip Kelly offense and Russell Wilson in 2012. It's, it's not that at all. Uh, I don't think there's been lines set for the Rose Bowl yet, but I, I doubt it will be. I bet it would be around 50 points when when that first line comes out. Does your confidence in this game go up because of the Utah performance, or are you thinking Utah was a little fool's gold? Because I'm starting to kind of – I mean, I I think Oregon is going to be a slight favorite, maybe like a two- or a a one-and-a-half-point favorite to open this football game uh, when the lines get released, which I don't think, like you said, are out yet. We're recording this immediately after – uh, bowl games were set, uh, or about an hour or so. So you know, maybe some lines will, will come out after we've, we've produced this. I would expect they would. Um, but I, 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 I think Oregon is the better team. I think they probably have, or I know they have the better athlete. You know, Oregon's recruited better than, than Wisconsin has, uh, the last few seasons. But I, I go back to the fact that Utah was a team that they didn't really play anybody. And so they were a little bit of fool's gold in which um, you know, they put up some gaudy stats against some bad teams, and that was pretty impressive. And when they played a good team, they lost twice, uh, USC, and they lost to Oregon. Um, Wisconsin, on the other hand, they've, they've gone against some good teams. I mean, they have a 35-14 victory over Michigan, who's in the top 25. They have a 24-22 victory over an Iowa team that's in the top 25. They have a 38-17 victory over Minnesota, who was in who is in the top 25. They lost by uh, and then they lost by 14 or 13, excuse me, to Ohio State in the conference championship. They lost by 31 to Ohio State uh, on the road earlier this season, and then they have a lone, you know, they have a bad loss to an Illinois team by one uh, on the road, uh, much like Oregon has a. A bad loss to an Arizona State team on the road, but they've they've played legit teams, and I and I think this team is more battle tested uh, than a Utah football team that Oregon played on on Friday night. Yeah, they're definitely more battle tested. They they've played in those tough games. They've played in those tough environments, and uh, Wisconsin fans travel incredibly well, so yeah. it will make this Rose Bowl matchup, which Oregon fans very hungry for a Rose Bowl. Um, just looking at the early kind of. I mean, tickets are basically the the athletic department still has their allotment, but on the open market, ticket prices have definitely shot up since 
the Ducks made it to the Rose Bowl, and then now with Wisconsin, they're get, going up a little more. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very well-attended game by both teams, which is going to make, I think, pressure. I mean, like, during the last Rose Bowl, I think there were a, a large number of Oregon fans for that playoff semifinal, which really did help the Ducks uh, make it feel a little more home. But Wisconsin, they can handle that. They've played in some tough environments. So it'll be interesting to see how this team, this Oregon team, is able to get up for a tough opponent who is battle-tested, who has played the tough defenses, the really good offenses, and kind of can handle it all. Um, just It'll be interesting to see if, or- if Oregon's best offense and best defense show up, Ducks can easily win. But it's it's if that does happen, I think the defense has been probably the stronger of the two all season long. And so we could have a really low-scoring affair if Oregon's offense can figure it out, not make turnovers, not have bad snaps or plays like that. I think the Ducks have the slight edge. We'll be interesting to see kind of as the game, I mean, it's still 23 days away, kind of where the sports books view this. I could see this sitting, opening with one team as the favorite, moving to the other team as the slight player, and bouncing back and forth over the next three weeks. Oregon's, uh, this is going to mark their eighth trip, uh, in the Rose Bowl. Um, and is that right? Is it eight or is it nine? It's eight. Yes, it's eighth. That's right. Uh, last most recent one was in 2015 when Oregon won 59 to 20 over Florida State in the CFP, uh, which sent Oregon to the college football playoff championship game. Uh, 2012, uh, Oregon played Wisconsin. They won that one 45 to 38. And then they played again in 2010, uh, and they lost to Ohio State 26 to 17. And then it was a big gap before their next one, which was 1995, the Penn State game. Uh, Oregon lost that one 38-20. to They also lost to Ohio State in 1958, 10-7. Harvard beat them 7-6 to in 1920. And then uh, way back when, Oregon won their first Rose Bowl ever uh, against Penn, 14 to nothing. Uh, All-time against Wisconsin, the Badgers hold a 3-2 lead uh, in this one. Uh, Oregon has won the most... Two most recent outcomes, though. Obviously, the Rose Bowl one is the most recent in 2012. Like I said, 45-38. Uh, thrilling finish in that one, too. Um, Oregon recovered a fumble in the closing seconds of the game. Uh, time expired, uh, and the game was over. Uh, Oregon also won 31-28 to at home September 1st, 2001. That was a game in which uh, another Oregonian quarterback was leading the way. It was Joey Harrington. Uh, he was the quarterback of that game for for the Ducks. He tossed three touchdown passes and scored the game-winning one-yard fourth-down leap with 4:03 to play. Uh, Oregon won that one, and then Wisconsin won the year before that in 2000 uh, at home, 27 to 23. And then uh, 1978, these two teams played. Wisconsin won 22-19. Uh, 1977, the the Ducks also played Wisconsin and lost 22 to 10. So really, um. All of these games outside of the 22-10 back in 1977 have been a one-score game and have yeah. been thrilling finishes. So I, history says we're setting, setting ourselves up for another good finish. I mean, you look at that 2012 game, and I mean, that was a instant classic of a game. Just playmakers on both sides of the ball getting it done. Some massive defensive plays as well. I know that the score might not re- reflect that, but... Both teams had some very key defensive stops, turnovers. Um, 
then those games around the century mark, like three point games, both of them, four point games. So it, uh, I think we're going to have a really good Rose Bowl. I think both these teams are coming to play. Both these teams are kind of on a journey, uh, progressing upwards as programs. Uh, both, as we said earlier, Jonathan Taylor's already said that he's going to, to play. I don't expect any Ducks to skip out. It is the Rose Bowl, the journey that these players have been on. I can't imagine them wanting to sit this one out. See, so. I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty, pretty, pretty shocked if anyone, uh, stepped forward and said they're out. And, and you, you posted something on duckterritory.com earlier about, about this. Mario had a, had a quote last year that I completely forgot about. Yeah, he, uh, Mario said that if, if you don't play in the bowl game, you're not going. So you make your decision. If you're playing, you're going, get to have the fun trip. If you decide to sit it out because you're wanting to go to the NFL or transfer, whatever, you're not going to the bowl game. So, um, I know there was some confusion that first year of the Vegas bowl because new coach turnover, the bowl was literally 10 days after Mario, less than 10 days after Mario yeah. Cristobal was hired as head coach. So, a few players did sit out that game, uh, but the next year, that was the law. Mario Cristobal set to the team, and it's kind of where where it's been, and I fully expect that to be the same way, but this is the Rose Bowl, uh, the excitement of Oregon players after that Pac-12 championship. I just I can't see someone sitting this one out. Early thoughts on um, key matchup of the game. For me, uh, I, I think... It's going to be entirely up front. This game, to, in my mind, is going to be decided by if Oregon's front seven can contain Jonathan Taylor and, and put the Wisconsin Badgers in some kind of second and long, third and long situation in which it's not a clear run play. And I should preface, for Wisconsin, a clear run play is like third and six. They will run the ball on third and six. They have no, they have no fear of doing that. Um, I, I think you need to put the Badgers in second and ten, third and nine, third and eight type situations or longer and make the arm of their quarterback uh, beat you. Because if, if you ask them to throw the football and have to have to throw the ball 30 or more times in a football game, I, I, I feel like that's going to set in favor of Oregon, especially the talent they have in the secondary matched up against those other players that the, the, the Badgers have at the receiver spot, that's going to be the difference in the game for me. It's, is if Oregon's front seven can control Jonathan Taylor enough to make Wisconsin have to throw the football. I'm actually going to go to the other side of the ball. I think o- Oregon's offensive line has been talked about all year long as one of the best in college football. Uh, and then finally delivered against the Utah defense, I think, to really put that C.J. Vergell rushing performance uh, and I think it was every guy on the line. I think it wasn't just the, the Panay Sewell that gets talked about so much or Shane Lemieux. It was Dallas Wormack had probably the biggest block of the night on that 70 yard touchdown run. So I think that's going to be what I'm really looking forward to is the other side of the ball, Oregon's offensive line versus Wisconsin's defense. Um, that's going to be fun. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm 
citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game four speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Frame, Kevin Wade here. Um, let's discuss real quick just Oregon's season as a whole. We've also got some recruiting news that we'll touch on. Um, Oregon finishes number six in the college football playoff. Uh, they are 11 and two. They're Pac-12 champs. They have a top six finish. Does that exceed expectations going into the year for you? Does does this? Is this the year that they're supposed to have? Was this an underachieving year? Was this an overachieving year? How do you, how do you look at this season from a, the full scope of things? I think the Pac-12 uh, kind of changed the expectations f- from me of this season. I think the teams that we thought would be better weren't as good. Um, I mean, we all kind of thought Utah would have a good year. We all thought USC, and there's some questions. They lost their starting quarterback early in the season, so that – Washington did not do nearly as good. So it does change the expectations of what happened this year for the Ducks. But I was fully expecting a a top 16 uh, finish where the Ducks were maybe in that conversation if they didn't win the, the conference championship for for a at-large, which would have been the Cotton Bowl this year, or potentially just an Alamo Bowl with a, a top ranking. I did not expect the Ducks to be where they are to the point of you're in your second-to-last regular season game as the number six team in the nation. Uh, did not expect that going into the year. I think they played um, they played with a lot of fight, which I don't think we saw in the past. I think there's, judging by maybe the 2018 Stanford game where the Ducks fell apart, uh, I think those type of games, I kind of expected one or two of those, whether it was Cal this year. Um, Ducks don't have that amazing comeback drive against Washington State. Those are the kind of things that I thought that they would drop one of those. So I think saying that they finished number six is above expectations, uh, but I am not surprised by the way that the Pac-12 was this year, that they were able to get to the Pac-12 championship in the Pac-12 North and then beat Utah. Yeah, I I think this is right about where I had them. When we did, we all did, uh, Eric Scopel, you, me, um, we all did some season-long projections at the beginning of the year. I think we did those back in August. Um, we picked every game, and we put together a, a, a season projection. I had Oregon going 11-1 and in the regular season. Um, I said they would win the Pac-12 and go 12-1. and And the only the only area I, I missed was when I had Oregon beating Auburn. I had uh, originally – I, I can't take credit for it because I changed my pick as the season wore on. But I, I originally said Oregon was going to drop a game at ASU because they were going to be, I don't know, what was it, 10-0 and 0, uh, going into that game and looking at the playoff and, and whatnot, and that loss would, would knock them out. Um, but here they are, I think, you know, 11-2 and 2 this season. 
They're Pac-12 champions. Um, I, I think the playoff for a lot of fans felt like it was probable, but in reality, I, I think they were probably going to need to play a little bit above their level. And for, for parts of the year, they did, but for other parts of the year, they they sucked they sucked down a, a level or a tier of uh, of college football, and it cost them a spot in the college football playoff. But I think they're right where they should be. They're they're a top ten team. They're good enough, probably at their best, to knock off half the teams that are in the college football playoff. But they're also in a position where if they don't play at their best, they could get run by four or five, six teams in the top ten. Um, and, and and so that's where they're at, and they're trying to you know get to that next tier where they are truly the elite of the elite. Um, but they're almost knocking that uh, down that door. So I think this season's been a pretty fair expectation of where this season has gone. Now, this also brings up the question, Crystal Ball was asked it, we talked about it post-game in the locker room, we talked about it in the press box, uh, we've certainly talked about it on the site. Um, can't avoid the question right now, everyone wants to say it on Twitter, so. Should Oregon have played Auburn? Like, it, knowing what we now know, if Oregon had played a Rice, or a, or a San Jose State, or a... New Mexico. Colorado State. Wyoming. Yeah, if they had just played some bottom of the barrel Akron of the MAC, who I don't think has won a game all year, uh, bought a, it, it bought a, a game to play at home. But, right. I mean, play a game at home and, and, and win it. And you're all of a sudden now you're, you're 12 and one, you're Pac-12 champ. And honestly, you're probably in the college football playoff. Should, should Oregon, should Oregon play this, you know, these types of games going forward? Well, I think you, you you have to bring up the the elephant is that even if they should, they've got Ohio State scheduled the next two years, yes. and then Georgia in Georgia, which is crazy that they schedule that still to me. But you know what? Those games make a lot of money for the athletic department, so can't knock them. Uh, but I I think they they should. I think it's one of those things. Is let's say Oregon beat Auburn. Oh, they're in. They're in. They they could have. They they're in. Easily with that ASU loss. It doesn't even matter that they lost ASU. They're still in because, you know what, you're allowed to drop one game, especially if Oklahoma drops the game that they dropped to Kansas State in the fashion that they did. Um, they're definitely in. If if you can beat one of those tough teams, it just sets you up for the season to be the king of the hill, to be the team that you are. And the committee doesn't put out the rankings till halfway or towards the end third of the season, and I think they respect those tough games. Now, Oregon did not win, and Auburn, if, if Auburn maybe had finished higher in the rankings, I think they would have gotten a little more credit for it. Um, they are number, they finished 13th or 12th, I believe, but I think Auburn had some some tough losses. I think you got to play those games. Those are the things that fans want to see. They value the regular season. Otherwise, it's just, especially with ticket sale, I think there's it's a, there's a business standpoint of it. And two, it's, it's testing your team because you could be a team like Utah who really didn't play anybody all year, then hit an Oregon team in the Pac-12 title. And, oh, this is a tough football team. Where Oregon was tested, they, they knew what it took to beat one of the most physical teams in college football with arguably one of the, the top defensive linemen in college football right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a bigger issue with the conference playing nine conference games that opposed to eight like the ACC and the SEC does. I can't remember if the Big 12 does or not. 
Um, I think no, they play nine because they have ten teams. They have a true round robin. They, that's their big thing. Um, I have a bigger issue with that. I would much rather see uh, the conference play eight games uh, in conference and then everyone play a big blue blood team like an Auburn or Michigan State or an Ohio State, like you said, for next year for Oregon. And and then, you know, three other games against not other non-conference opponents than Oregon not scheduling uh, tough teams. Because I think there's something to be said about going out and playing someone really, really good uh, early in, early on in the year and getting a chance to see where you're at. And then if you win it, like you said earlier, you're in. It doesn't really matter what happens in conference as long as you don't lose twice. If you lose, you know, if you, if you just get out of that conference one, with a one loss, you're in the college football playoff because you have a big win. And Chris Sabal doubled down on it. He said that they're going to continue to do that. The players want that. Troy Dye retweeted somebody asked, you know, discussing that topic saying, uh, he would, he would play Auburn over again if it was up to him. Um, so I, I, I think, uh, that is probably uh, where I would I would fall. Um, certainly, it's going to be a debate of what if it's gonna, that's going to rage on for weeks, probably. You have to give oh. the SEC and the ACC credit. I mean, I think it was one of the SEC officials in the in the conference that said, "Why should we play a nine game season if the rules don't require us to?" So, yeah. either change the rules or the Pac-12 needs to adapt. And the Pac-12 now has only made two of the playoffs. And been shut out since 2016, and only Oregon has won a playoff game from the conference. So, yeah, that that was five years ago, 2000, 2014 season uh, when when that happened. So you obviously know that it's been a long time for this conference to get to that point. Now, as much as we're excited to cover this Rose Bowl, um, we will be there. Uh, there's also this thing called recruiting that literally does not stop. Uh, we joked about it on the press conference or on the podcast after the red, uh, after the, the, the win over Utah in the Pac-12 championship game in Santa Clara on Friday night with Dante Williams shooting out of the locker room before the media had been available, uh, to go in because he had a fight to catch to go recruit. We, and, and Kevin, you've, you've been tracking this since it's, it wasn't just Dante. It, it was basically the entire staff. Uh, has been going out and recruiting play, uh, multiple prospects, making in-home visits, making uh, on-campus school visits. Yeah, uh, Jim Mastro posted, I think it was like at 2.30 in the morning after the game, f- a photo of being in SFO Airport ready to head, and he headed out to Mississippi to go see running back commitment Trey Benson. Um, Joe Salavea flew out to Georgia to go see um, Braden Swinson, a defensive line commit. Keith Hayward and Mario Cristobal stayed in the Bay Area after the game, uh, went and checked in with Ben Williams, and then Mario Cristobal headed down to Los Angeles to go check out some of the Southern California commits. Uh, Jaden uh, Navarrete, or was that Joe Salavea? Uh, Jaden Navarrete was Cristobal and Avalos. That's and right. And Cristobal also stopped in Indio, California, to visit with Jake Shipley, Um Coaches have been kind of all over the place, and I think they're still going to be going. I mean, Ken Wilson uh, hopped on a flight immediately out to Utah to go visit Noah Sewell, the five-star linebacker, uh, Panay's brother, um, the gem of the class right now. So it's uh, coaches are busy. They've been on the road. Um, they kind of – it's interesting to see how Oregon approached it with the Pac-12 title this week. Um, I know you asked during the press conference last week, the Ducks – 
weren't out on the road. All the other schools in the country yeah. were out on the road recruiting for an entire week, and Oregon was like, hey, we have business to take care of. And I think it worked because let's say they go on the road and then they lose the Pac-12 title. Well, it looks like you were trying to do too much. Now they they, they have that Pac-12 championship trophy, whether they're, they're not bringing the trophy, but they got those T-shirts that they can be wearing out on the road. And all the players and all the recruits know that Oregon is Pac-12 champion right now. And they got a week to firm things up, expect recruits to come in over the next week. There's not a lot of time left. And... Right now, they're going and firming up all of the commitments. That yeah. They have 23 on the list right now uh, on 247 Sports, number 11 class in the country. Um, then there's a few more targets. There's, a, there's only a handful of spots, but there aren't a lot of names for those spots. Also comes with other teams trying to poach some things that, you know, some players that Oregon has currently committed. And one of those is Johnny Wilson. Um, he is one of Oregon's highest rated prospects in this class. He's the third highest rated prospect in, in Oregon's 2020 recruiting class, which ranks 11th in the country, first in the Pac-12. He's the 88th best overall player in the country. He's the 16th best wide receiver in the country. He's the 11th best receiver, uh, prospect in the state of California. Um, Arizona State's trying to make a run and they're, there's certainly some confidence that's brewing out of Tempe that they can flip Johnny Wilson. Um, whether that's true or not, we've got some information on duckterritory.com earlier that was posted, uh, this weekend on the board about that. People are discussing it. Um, trying to, you know, where does he go? He's only got about a week left to figure things out if he's going to stay with Oregon, uh, or flip to another school. We've got what's, what's happening there on the site. Um, you also noted another commit is being um, really pursued hard by Chip Kelly, and there could be some some action there as well. Yeah, Miles Flusher took a, an official visit to UCLA this week with the Ducks playing in the um, Pac-12 title game. He was able to use the weekends and not going to Oregon, and Oregon coaches weren't stopping by, so he went to UCLA. Official visit that we thought was going to happen all year, but decided to make it this weekend. So that's definitely something to track. Uh, he's one of Oregon's top, I think he's the sixth highest rated commitment, comes in at 151 in the 247 composite. He's the number 10 safety. Uh, Ducks kind of see him as a boundary corner. So we'll be tracking that over the next few days, kind of where Oregon stands. Um, what Are the coaches going to go back out to, to Oklahoma to go visit him? We'll be interesting to watch how that plays out over the next few days. Signing day is December 18th. Um, we will have full coverage of that. And one of the one guys that we're waiting on, uh, that hasn't decided, uh, is five-star cornerback Keely Ringo, um, out of Arizona. Uh, Oregon has certainly made things interesting the last few weeks there as well with his interest in the Ducks. Um, you noticed this post game of Friday's championship game. He was very, very pro-Oregon. Uh, on social media. Yeah, he was all over Instagram. He posted a photo of him on his official visit. Um, and in the comments, he's got teammate, uh, commit, uh, a Saguaro teammate committed, Jalen Jeffers, the offensive tackle, who's been really recruiting him. And in the comments of his Instagram post, it was, uh, Jalen Jeffers, former Oregon basketball player, Aaron Brooks was doing a little bit of recruiting as well, trying to, trying to push for the Ducks. So, 
definitely interesting to see that. And he posted on Twitter. Um, I think he said Sko with a few duck emojis. So it'll be interesting to see how that final stretch of his recruitment plays out. He's, he's visited Oregon, and right now that's his only official visit he's taken, though a lot of people right now seem to think that Georgia or Texas are the other schools in the top. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. He just finished up his high school season this yesterday. So the, uh, Oregon had a coach there, right? I uh, believe so. I think it was I'm trying to think it was Dante Williams, I think. Yeah. I think Dante Williams was there uh, and, for that we're one. Gonna have, Oregon has had coaches there all year. Uh, Blair and Gula, one of our 247 writers, got a really good photo of um, back in the summer of Dante Williams during the evaluation period standing over Keely Ringo's drills, just really monitoring those at uh, Saguaro's open house day. So Duxon really made him a priority. Yes. And we, we should note that, um, that we're just, we're not, we're hearing some positive things with Keely Ringo and Oregon. Um, there's more detail of that. That's been posted previously on duckterritory.com for our VIP subscriber. Um, certainly a ton of information there to watch because this is a game, this is a recruiting game that Oregon is surging right now. They, I mean, I don't think anyone out there would doubt this staff, uh, and their ability to recruit. And now that, um, there's a conference championship to their name, there really isn't much to be said for, uh, a school to negative recruit Oregon because look, that happens. That has been going on all season. Oregon has had to battle that, uh, with some schools in the conference that are trying to, to negative recruit the Ducks. And, and now at this point, there really isn't much out there for any school to negatively recruit Oregon outside of a coach leaving. Yeah. I don't think that's really going to be an issue. I mean, you can, you could have made the claim, Oh, they're just recruiters the past maybe two years, but now that they have that conference championship, they've developed. They've take, yes, Kayvon Thibodeau was a five-star last year, but he put on a show during the Pac-12 championship, and that's kind of what the Ducks are selling is, hey, you could be a five-star, but look, you're a true freshman that's going to lodge, what, nine sacks in your freshman season, including three in a conference title game? Pretty impressive sales pitch. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Preem. That's Kevin Wade. We will talk to you throughout the week and throughout the month of December, getting you ready for National Signing Day on the 18th and also the 2020 Rose Bowl, which features the Oregon Ducks and the Wisconsin Badgers. Thanks for listening. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.